Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Hey Amen. Church, it's good to see you. And I just say before we get started, uh, campus pastors have already alluded to it, but uh, 9-11, 20th year anniversary, I just say this, man, when the world is crazy, are we not glad? And so glad and confident in the fact that God says the kingdom of God has overcome evil with good. And I think that is something we can celebrate and uh, something we can be confident in, that no matter what's going on around of us, uh, no matter what's being shaken, that God's kingdom is, is strong. I'm glad you're here today, and it's so good. Whether you're watching online, it's great to have you. If you're over the Frederick campus watching live, it's good to have you guys. It's great to have all of you in the room. And we've been in this series on values, and we've been talking about our values. And last week, Matt Cody talked about this question that we have that centers around a value about love. And so this value of love, we kind of talk about this idea of how the most loving thing you could do is to introduce someone else to Jesus. So we say that this question that goes along with this value is really important. And one of the questions is, it's this question, the idea of how can I help? And so Matt was just talking about here, when you know someone that you're just kind of developing a relationship with, developing some influence with, there's going to come an opportunity in every relationship where people are saying, man, I'm just really struggling. And the best question we could ask is how can I help? And when you develop a relationship like that, where people know you were there for them to help them, there's usually some trust that's built and, and there usually becomes an opportunity where you can invite them and say, man, I, I just, you know, here's something that's changed my life. So why don't you come check that out? Come to church and sit with me. And uh, I think our church could help. Now it's interesting. I was listening to Matt preach and I was like, man, that question, we asked that question around this place in all kinds of areas, not just with that value. We asked that around here with our staff. And so we have a staff value that we talk about just humility and service. And we have a church value about that. We're going to talk about that today. But that question, we push our staff to ask that question constantly. Like we push them to ask this question, how can I help so much that what we did a year ago is we actually created an award. Like an award that's given away on a weekly basis. So if you're around this place on Tuesday morning, what happens is Monday morning we send out an email. And this email goes out and it says, hey, um, you know, just thinking about people who have just kind of embodied that value of serving and asking how they can help. What are the stories? Send in your stories of somebody that helped you this week. And here's the thing. Helping a person can't be in your same ministry area. And we all have stuff to do. We all have stuff to accomplish. But we want to create some margin in our life and in our work where we're able to jump in and help. So, for instance, this last week, we had our biggest pathway groups kickoff um, that we've had in the last three or four years. It was huge. But our entire groups team got sick this week and could not be there for the launch. And so what happened is we got a whole bunch of staff that just started saying, hey, Rhonda, hey, Mitch, hey, Susan, how can we help? And so we showed up. And I remember I showed up and I walked in and about 30 minutes before we were supposed to start, they said, hey, you're gonna do the message tonight. I said, okay, great, I'll do the message tonight. That's how we can help. But that's a value we have is just asking the question, how can you help? So here's what happens on Tuesday morning. We walk into our staff circle up and we have chosen the person who embodied that value, who asked that question that week and really fulfilled it. And so we give them an award. It's a tangible award that we hand to them that they get to keep all week. 
and then hand it off to somebody the next week. They, I mean, it's, it's inspirational, like it's encouraging. It's an award that they take with them and you can see the award right here. We call the award Marge. You might look at me right now and you might say, that looks more like a punishment than a reward. I have no idea how, Marge, uh, how, how the award became a three and a half foot tall giraffe that we have, right? A stuffed animal giraffe. But I do know why we gave it the name Marge. So that's Marge. And the reason is what I alluded to before. We give out this award to people because somebody on our staff created margin, hence the name Marge, in their schedule to ask the question, how can I help and serve? And I wonder what would actually happen. Like it is, what has happened around our staff is it's actually kind of raised the level of servanthood and raised the level of help and raised the level of willingness to jump outside of, create a little bit of margin. I got a lot to accomplish, but you need help. So I'm here to serve you. What do you need? It's been fantastic. What would happen in your life? Like if we just transferred that value and we began to think about this value of humility and service and begin to ask the question in our homes, we ask the question in our workplace, we ask the question in our relationships, we ask the question wherever it might be, what if the first question we asked was how can I help? Now parents think about this for a second because there are times your kids come to you and the first question you wanna ask is not how can I help? The first question you wanna ask is what were you thinking? right? Why did you do that? What if we flipped it and said, okay, we'll deal with that later. Right now, how can I help? If you're a leader in a business, what if the first question when somebody messed up, you realize you just spend some extra money on training them, right? And you just step in and you said, hey, we'll deal with the consequences in a second, but right now in the moment, how can I help? You see, we've created that value around this place. And one of the reasons we have that value is because as a church, as a whole church, when we talk about our values, we believe our values are really important because values dictate what our behavior will be. And one of the values that we see constantly throughout scripture is this, it's a value of humility and service. And so we say it this way, we say irresistible humility. We serve others because Jesus calls us to contribute, not just consume. Because Jesus calls us to contribute, not just consume. You think about people in relationships, how many people, how many do you know around you that you look at and say, man, that is a consumer. Like I wish that person would contribute to help and to be there and to serve me, but they think about themselves most of the time and that's a consumer. Step back for a second. Relationally speaking, what do other people say about you? What do other people say about me? You see, if our mission at this place is to know Jesus and love like him, then, then what we have to do is we have to look at the values that were important to Jesus and begin to apply those to our lives and begin to live those out. And we have a value, not because we just came up with it around this place. We have a value at this place because when you jump into the New Testament, you see the people who walked with Jesus, like who were there with him every single day, what they describe and what they write about is this incredible humility that Jesus had where he just contributed to people's lives. He made margin in his life to stop and see the hurting, to see the sick, to see the disenfranchised, and to ask them, how can I help? Now, Jesus didn't walk around with a margin, hand out a 
stuffed giraffe to help people and say, hey, Peter, you did a great job this week. You get Marge. Jesus did things like he grabbed a towel. John chapter 13, it's 24 hours before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's sitting there with his disciples. It's the last supper. They're going to have the Passover meal. They walk in and usually what would happen is there'd be a servant that would be there and the servant would take a towel and a basin of water and everybody sit down. They would take turns. They would go around and the servant would wash the dirty, smelly feet of every person who just walked in with sandals off those dirt roads. There was no servant. So Jesus grabbed the towel and he washed each disciple's feet and he says, I've done this for you. Now you go and this is the way you live. You do this for each other. You love each other in this way and the whole world will know. Like everybody's gonna know that you are my disciples if you love each other this way. We're not gonna look at John 13, but in Philippians chapter two, Paul, his greatest missionary of all time, he started more churches in the New Testament timeframe than any other person. He was a missionary that was just sent out to start churches. And then the New Testament most in the New Testament are books or letters, actually. We call them epistles. They're letters that were sent to the churches that Paul started. And so in this, this chapter we're going to read, it's Philippians. Philippians, the book of Philippians, is a letter that's sent to the church in Philippi. And Paul says, if you get anything, like if you understand anything about Jesus, then you've got to connect with this value and you've got to live out this value in your life. And so Starting in chapter two, verse one, he says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to have the same values. If you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you wanna be like Jesus, know Jesus and love like him, then you gotta have the, the same values. And he says, then make my joy complete. He said, complete. He says, make me a, just a happy papa. He's like, man, I'm, I'm helping you start these churches. I'm your spiritual father. He says, make me happy with this by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. There's the word. He says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul says, look, church, here's the deal. There are some values. And no matter what kind of disagreements we have because of our different backgrounds, because of our different experiences in the early church, it was much like today. People came from so many different backgrounds, so many different ways of thinking, uh, so many different skin colors, so many different, different ethnic races, all of these things, they came into one church and they brought all these ideas with them. And he says, even though you have disputes about all these other things, you need to understand in belief and in value, you need to be like-minded. Would it not be nice <laughs> for us in our society today to have a little bit more like-mindedness? Like a little bit less saying, you believe this and therefore I don't agree with you, therefore I don't like you. And in the early church, there were so many different people coming from so many different backgrounds, religions, all these different things. And they came in and he says, Paul said, please just understand, you need to be like-minded in your beliefs about Jesus and the resurrection. And then you need to be like-minded in the values that Jesus had. And the one he shows up with 
Like the one Paul just points out right here in front of everybody and saying this is like maybe the most important is humility. We are to be like-minded in humility. He defines it in verse three and four. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So what does that actually mean? Simple, famous definition. C.S. Lewis says it this way, great theologian and writer. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, not, not valuing yourself less. He says, no, no. He writes later in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, or 2, verse 10. He says, you are God's workmanship. That means workmanship in the Greek word means masterpiece. Every one of you, every one of you, every one of you, you are God's masterpiece. He intentionally created you the way he created you with your gifts, with your abilities to make a contribution. He says, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. He says, man, you have a purpose. He said, humility is not about valuing yourself less. He actually says, it's actually about thinking about yourself less. (laughs) Some of us have heard people say to us, say the idea of it's not about you. It's not about you. The world doesn't revolve around you. You're not the center of the universe because, why is that said? Because we're all naturally inclined to be that way. Now, as we grow older, hopefully we mature and we begin to understand and we're, we're less selfish and we begin to focus on other people. But Paul said, you know you're becoming more like Jesus when you are putting other people before yourself in words and in actions. Humility is thinking about others first. That's what humility is. But what does humility do? And here's the interesting part where Paul just takes Jesus as an example and he lands the plane on this value. Here's what humility is, but now here's what it does. In verses five through eight, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or be like-minded with Jesus Christ. Verse six, he says, who being very nature God, that word nature is incredibly important. We'll come back to it who being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. So we use that word twice, nature God and then nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the cross or to death, even death on a cross. Here's the key. That word nature means form. Says Jesus in being very nature God or having the form of God. Now understand when it says having the form of God, he's not saying that Jesus was, it's actually saying Jesus is God. Like he was in heaven, he is God. When we look at him, we see the form of everything that God the Father is. And how incredible is it that God sent him? He descended to this earth to show us who God is. But did you catch what Paul wrote? Like here's the key to the whole value thing. If it's the very nature God, form of God, then it says, what did he do? He descended to earth and he took on the form of a king? No. Took on the form of a leader? No. And Jesus was those things. He took on the form of a servant. 
And did you notice that Paul said he didn't use his kingship as an advantage? He didn't use the fact that he was God as an advantage. He came here looking at all of you, looking at me, looking at all of us, everyone in humanity saying, how can I help? And God knew how he could help. He knew the only way was to send his son Jesus as the servant, the suffering servant, the Old Testament calls him, to be the sacrifice for our sins to meet our need. What does humility do? Humility takes on the form of a servant and seeks to meet the needs of others just like Jesus. See, the highest form in the kingdom of God is not a king. The highest position in the kingdom of God is not a king. It's not a leader. The highest position in the kingdom of God is servant. It's people who are willing to pick up towels and say, how can I And I just ask you, what would change in our relationships if that was the attitude we had? Husbands, what would change in your marriage if the constant question to your spouse was, how can I help? Kids, what would change in your family? What would your parents do if you just asked that question? How can I help? Parents, what would happen if maybe the first question you asked was, how can I help? If we had that attitude of humility and service that we're constantly thinking about not how does this affect us, but how is this affecting someone else? And that thought is so counterintuitive to us. It's so counterculture. You see, our culture is all about upward mobility. It's all about how do I advance? It's not about downward mobility. You see, we move up in status, not down in status. We think about ourselves and how we are moving forward, not about others to the expense of ourselves. See, the position as servant in our society seems like a demotion. Not so in the kingdom. We think in our society we ascend to greatness. Not that we descend to greatness, but do we? Philippians chapter two, starting verse nine, Paul writes this and he says, Jesus came to be the suffering servant. He gave his life for us and he descended to the position of servant. And here's what God did. So therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that Jesus Christ is the savior of all. Jesus was willing to become the servant and God said, I will exalt you to the highest place. The book of Colossians says that that God was pleased to put all the fulfillment of his power, all the fulfillment of his grace underneath Jesus. Jesus came to serve and he was exalted to be the savior. The interesting thing about that idea is when you think about how he's called us to be servant, the position of savior, I have a good pastor friend that says this all the time. He says, the position of savior is already taken, but usually the position of servant isn't. There's a lot of us walk into situations and myself included, especially when you're younger, right? You're younger, you just have this idealistic idea that, man, I know what we can do about this. I can fix anything. We can, I got all the energy to put forth this. We can just fix whatever. There's a lot of us that walk in and we think we are the fix to the problem. (laughs) We need to be reminded that the position of savior in our relationships is already taken. 
but the position of servant usually isn't. You see, in the kingdom of God, we don't ascend to greatness because of our talent, our position, our wealth, our, our influence. We descend into greatness because of our willingness to serve. And Jesus says this, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So how are you doing on that? Like when we really step back into it and ask the question, what's the first question we ask is, is it how can I help? Do we have that value of humility where we say, man, I, I want to, in my relationships, be a contributor, not a consumer? Husbands, if you just work on that this week, I guarantee it, it'd change your marriage. You give it a little bit of time and you just consistently begin asking that question and showing up and consistently showing up, doing it. Wives, same thing. Kids, same thing. Uh, bosses, same thing. Workers, same thing. You want to gain influence with other people? Be a servant. Be like-minded with Jesus Christ and ask the question, how can I help? But here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing when we step into the gospels and we look at Jesus' life and his ministry, there's always an individual side where Jesus teaches things where he's like, this'll change your life. Like if you live this way, it, it'll actually make a difference in your life. And he talks about so many different things, but couched in the middle of that, Jesus always has this mission he's on. There's always an individual, this will make your life better. There's also a family. There's also a group situation. There's also this thing where Jesus says, hey, but life is bigger than just you. The world doesn't just revolve around you. There is something much bigger. It actually resolves, he says, around him, around people meeting him. And when people meet Jesus, their lives change. That's why we say our mission here is to help people know Jesus and love like him, help as many people as possible know Jesus and love like him. Because Jesus transforms lives. It just happens. But what we see is, is Jesus had a mission and then he had a strategy to accomplish that mission. And when he took those 11 guys at the very end and he said to them his last words as he ascended up into heaven, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait for my Holy Spirit. You're gonna start something new. And then I want you to take that new thing and I want you to go to the entire world. I want you to take it as far and wide, go to all people of all nations, sharing them with him everything I've taught you baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them about my grace. And so the disciples headed out from that hill in Galilee, and they went down to Jerusalem, and they waited for 50-some days. Big celebration is happening. It's Pentecost. Everybody's coming. Jews from all over the place are coming to Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up, and Peter preaches this incredible sermon 3,000 people get baptized that day and join this group of people they called it What? church. See, Jesus has a mission, and then he has a strategy. Someone once said this, that the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. What God gave us, no church is perfect, I guarantee you. You will not find a perfect church, and I will not say that Rocky is the perfect church. We've got our, our problems and our issues, but people do. 
And God gathers those broken people, people together and through his Holy Spirit and through how Jesus begins to change lives, he begins to show the stories of you and you and you and you and all of us together and you out there watching online and you at the Frederick campus, all of us together. And we begin to show the world as we work together that Jesus really can change lives. That's God's strategy. He sent Jesus to show the world they could have salvation. He sent all of us as the church to show people Jesus. And Paul writes it this way. Paul writes to a different church, not the church in Philippi, but again, we said that all these books and later in the New Testament, all, they're actually letters that are written to cities that have churches in them. They're written to the church in that city. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is written to the church in where? Corinth. So Paul writes, and he puts it this way. Chapter 12, verse 12. says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Go down to verse 18. But in fact, God has placed all the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Paul uses all kinds of illustrations when he writes. He'll talk about a building. He says, we as the church are like a building. And all the different pieces of the building, the parts of the building, they come together to build this structure. He talks here about the body. He says, the body is made of many parts. Did you know that your body has 73, I think it is, different organs? It's 206, or excuse me, 78 different organs. That's 206 bones in your body. It has 37 trillion cells and every part of that body is essential to make the body work. Some of you know this. You throw out your back and your back's not working, it affects everything else. Like the body comes together, there's all these parts and you don't have just one part. We're not all walking around with just a hand, right? There are many parts of the body that have different functions. And so Paul uses that example and he writes, he says, we have a mission and we've been given a strategy called the church and the church is just like a body with a whole bunch of parts, all of you. And every single one of you has been gifted differently to fulfill your role in the body to help accomplish the mission and the strategy. Paul even talks throughout 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about this idea of spiritual gifts that you, when you were created, you don't just have a personality. You've been giving a, given a set of gifts by God to help accomplish the mission. That's why some of you sit here and you say, man, I look at my personality and I look at my talents and I'm not an upfront person. I'm a behind the scenes person, but I am administratively gifted and I can make things happen. Some of you are like, I can't even dot an I or cross a T, but I can stand up there and motivate people to do things. You see, God gifted us all differently to be used in this world and to be used in the body of Christ to accomplish his mission. But some of us say, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really that important to the body. It's interesting, Aaron Chambers is a pastor up in Greeley at uh, Journey Christian Church. And Rocky actually helped plant that church many, many years ago. And Aaron's a great pastor. And, and uh, he wrote a book that's, that's called um, Remember Who You Are. And it was written in 2007, and he uses this idea, and he talks about this very same passage of Scripture. And he says in 1863, or 1893, excuse me, there was a German follower of Charles Darwin. 
His name was Robert uh, Wiedershein. He wrote a book in which he highlights, it was a medical book, he highlights in the book and claimed that there were 86 parts of the human body that were once necessary, but are no longer necessary or useful anymore. He says, because of evolution, these, these um, body parts are actually useless, and the only use they actually have is to serve as a visible trace of human evolution. So he goes through this whole idea, and he says, there's a whole bunch of body parts that you have that they're kind of useless now. The body has evolved. We don't need those parts anymore. Now, it was interesting. Actually, in that time frame in history, doctors came up with what they thought was actually 180 parts of the body that they said were dispensable. You could get rid of those things. Now, you can think of this in this terms, right? Some of the examples might be the appendix. How many of you had your appendix taken out? Okay, you've had your appendix taken out. Why? Because your appendix was trying to do what it was actually made to do, but somehow it got infected. We found out later on that the appendix produces important antibodies that help protect our intestines from infections. Tonsils. Probably like 85% of people in here sitting at Fred or watching online have had their tonsils taken out. Why? because it got infected at some point. But you know what your tonsils were doing while they got infected? The tonsils, we found out later, thought they were useless. They're actually some of the first line of defense of protecting our bodies from some of the bacteria and things that are breathed in or eaten and taken in through our mouths. I mean, go down to the vertebrae with our spine, our tailbone. Like I have fallen before and thought, I wish I didn't have a tailbone, right? Did you know that your tailbone has two muscles attached to it that actually keep um, some of your pelvic organs in place? That would be important. Like if you just go down to it, there's no dispensable part of the body. If you step back into Christ's body, Paul is saying the same thing. You are indispensable. You have a role. And that's why we have this value around this place, irresistible humility. We serve others because Jesus calls us to contribute, not to consume. In Western culture, in our entertainment culture, there's a lot of consuming that goes on just in life. What can't happen is for church to become the same way. If we have a mission and we have a strategy and it's called the church, to help people know Jesus and love like him, then we cannot as believers, as parts of the body, come in and just consume and not contribute because you are a part of the body. You have a role to play. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are his masterpiece created, gifted, given abilities to be able to serve. And what I find is Paul wrote on and he he wrote an interesting verse and he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I don't find people saying that in the church. I don't people, people looking around, I find people looking around and saying, Man, you're not needed. We got this covered, I don't need you. What I find is people who sit in the seats and look out and they may not know what's needed, but they say, I don't think they need me. Just like Paul writes here and says, man, no one should ever say to anyone else, you're not needed. You cannot, if you're part of the body of Christ, say, I don't think they need me. Why? Because we have a mission and we have a strategy and we have a value to live like Jesus. And you know, as I've been saying for the last few weeks, we know that if you live in Boulder County and you live in Weld County, those two counties together have 650,000 people in them. 
And if we just were to get down into the statistics and look at the amount of people who do not know Jesus or the amount of people that say, yeah, I think I do, but there's no connection. There's a lot of consuming, but not a lot of contributing. There's a lot of life going on, but not a lot of connection with Jesus. We have a mission that God's given us and you cannot say, I don't think I'm needed. And there's so many needs. Like if, if you just step back and I just say as your lead pastor, if I was just to tell you the amount of needs that are around this place, there is a role and a job that fits everybody. You say, man, I don't know. I was with a lady last night. She has served at Rocky for almost 20 years with five-year-olds. And you know how many five-year-olds that she can see that she has seen grown up, that she stayed connected with their families and she's been to other parties and other things that she's been involved with and she served with other age groups. And those people look back and they say, man, we just love Melinda. See, you never know what might happen of you sitting in a classroom with a bunch of kids, you sitting in a, in a, a gymnasium with a bunch of middle school or high school students of how you just connecting and laughing and meeting with them and talking to them about Jesus and listening to their hurts and their problems, how much that might change somebody's tra trajectory for the future. Somebody say, man, middle school students? I don't know if I can do middle school students. You can hold a door. You can smile at people who walk in the door that have had a really rough week that don't know where life is taking them and, and they don't know. You can welcome them. You can help them find a place. You can be on a prayer team that simply prays for people. You might be a person who's like, man, I'm a computer geek and I, I, I know all kinds. Do you know how many jobs we have right back there in that tech booth that make all this happen? And the reason that all those people out there watching online can watch online today live in person and see baptisms and hear a message and worship online is because we have a bunch of computer geeks back there that just love making it possible. And still some of us, we say, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can't. Here's the deal. The position of Savior is already taken but the position of servant isn't. And what Jesus is saying around this place, in a place that honestly, we have so many great servants and I just wanna say thank you for all of you who serve, but here's the deal. During COVID, there's a lot of people that have stepped back and we now have so many new people connecting and so many new people coming in our doors and so many opportunities. And we have so many staff members saying, man, I need some more people. There's an opportunity for you. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, now you, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And if you're here, if you are watching, you are a part of the body and you have a purpose in the body. If you call Rocky home, like if this place is your home, then you should be contributing to the mission of reaching 650,000 people and all the countless people that are available for us to be online. Man, I tell you, I, I can't do it by myself. Our campus pastors can't do it by themselves. Our staff can't do it by themselves. Our elders can't do it by ourselves. The volunteers we have, we need more. If you wanna be more like Jesus, man, the first thing you do is you serve. And the value you begin to ask in your relationships individually and all that, you begin to ask, how can I help? The first thing you do is you serve. And what you might find is you might descend into greatness in those but if we, church, if we 
you at the Frederick campus, you at the Niwa campus, all of you online, if we want to accomplish the mission, then you need to play your role. Like we need you to play your role in the body and serve. And while COVID may have caused people to pull back and from attending and serving, here's what I would say. Iraqi, we are not going to focus on just protecting ourselves. I understand some of you need to, immune system, whatever. But here at Rocky, we are not gonna focus on our own protection and avoid the responsibility of our mission. 650,000 people. We need you. And here's what you find. Some of the best relationships I've made is because I decided to serve with people and to serve alongside people and to laugh with people, to cry with people, to be there with people and to have fun using my gifts with people. I've learned so much by being with people. And we want you to have that opportunity. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And then our campus pastors are gonna come up on both campuses. And I realize there's a lot of you out there that are serving and I just wanna say thank you again. But I also re realize that there's some of you who aren't. Today's your opportunity. They're gonna explain how, they're gonna explain what, but here's my expectation. If you're a part of the body, then you're a contributor to the body. You help us with our mission. Let's pray. Father, as we talk about serving, Father, I just pray for each person individually today. Help us to ask that question this week. How can I help? And Father, I pray you just bring about some great opportunities for us to just love people that we love. Maybe even love some people we don't know. Love some people that didn't expect it. Father, I pray ultimately that they'll see you in that. And then Father, I pray for us as a church. I believe 650,000 might be a, it's a huge number, but there are a lot of churches in this area. And if we will do our part in the body, if each person will do our part in the body, I believe it's possible. And so Holy Spirit, do some great things through us and do some great things through the people who sign up to serve today. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.